Hello and welcome to The Shift, the podcast that aims to tell the no-holds-barred truth about being a woman post-40. Created and hosted by me, journalist and author Sam Baker. This week, I've somehow wangled my way into the kitchen of a woman who has more energy than anyone I've ever met. Emma Freud is a broadcaster, presenter, columnist, fundraiser, for want of a better way of putting the incredible work she and her partner Richard Curtis do with Comic Relief. And she's got four kids and a bazillion pets, and she's not afraid to call a spade a spade. Oh, wow. I went in and I said, I think, I think you should test me for Alzheimer's. And she said, are you menopausal? And I went, yeah. And she went, well, it's that. And I went, no, 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 it can't be that, because mm. it's really serious. And she said, but it is that, because it, that's one of the main symptoms. Emma shares her thoughts on ageing, adapting, and how she'll never be afraid to admit her age. There's also some rudeness usually from me. Emma, this is like sitting in the middle of my Pinterest board. <laughs> I'm not leaving. You're going to have to. It's me. There's a, just, and by the way, everybody, if there's, if there's any strange noises, it's because at our feet there is a cat and four kittens. And the cat has just remembered what a pain in the ass kittens are. And walked out in a half. Yeah, she's gone and the kittens have now gone to sleep. Oh, look at them. Oh, They're so look. cute. Two weeks old. Oh. They sleep in my bed on the pillow next to me. Oh, what's the cat's name, by the way? She's well. Obviously, she's she was named by my teenage son, and she's called El Chapo Junior. Oh, hello, El Chapo Junior. Our first cat was named by my teenage stepson, and he was called Shinobi after a computer game. So yeah, okay, get it. It's it's fine. Can you, if you could just like keep it down, El Chapo Junior. Yeah, and thank you for using her full name. He won't allow anyone to call her anything for short. You have to use the full name no. at all times. What would Ish. you call her, El Chap? L. L. Pretty name, Chapo. Chapo. None of it's allowed. No. Junior. No, none of this. No. So, Emma. Yes. Madam. You are the definitive polymath. Aren't you? I don't even know what that means. Polymath is a person who's done absolutely loads and does it all really, really well, I believe. Wow. Cue loads of people writing comments telling me that's not what a polymath is. Isn't it called multi-hyphenated or something now? Oh, it's what the millennials called multi-hyphenated. Right. Yeah, you are the definitive multi-hyphenated. <laughs> Let's be down with the kids. Although they're not kids now, are they? No. They're, they're practically grown up. Yes. But columnist, producer, broadcaster, you know, co-brains behind Comic Relief. Exec producer of Red Nose Day yeah. or director? What's, what do we call you? I think I'm exec producer of Comic Relief, including Red Nose Day and Sport Relief. This is the period where I have to write and ask famous people to do things they don't want to do. I wrote to Batman yesterday. To who? The new Batman. Oh. And said, would Dear you... Dear Batman. Yeah, literally. <laughs> And said, would he say hello to a winner of a prize on the set of Batman this summer? Surely he will. He did, yeah, he said yes. But Not we, too big enough. No, it really isn't. But what it is, is it's an email that comes from so deep down in the pit of your stomach, it's virtually in your womb. It's an intrusion, it's a cheek, it's painful to write those words and then press send when you're doing it for the 20th time that day to yeah. someone who owes you nothing and who doesn't want to do... I mean, a meet and greet for five minutes on a set is, is an easy one, but, you know, asking people if they'll allow cameras into their houses or if they'll t- give up a day of their lives to come and do a bit of filming or to appear on a live show, you know, these are all things that people don't want to do. And honestly, it comes from a place of such pain with me now after 30 years of doing it. 
And it's very difficult to remember that I'm doing it for the projects that we support, not for me. Because it yeah. feels like I'm saying, do this for me. But that nobody who gets that email thinks that you're asking for yourself, surely. Well, no, I don't think anybody does with their front brain. But at the back of their mind, especially if it's the third or fourth or 23rd time that I've asked them to do something, it's like, mm. oh, Jesus, will that girl just go? You know, it's just that there's... I bet they don't think that. Scarlett, my daughter, and I have got a little phrase that we both use all the time because in her activist world, she does a lot of begging, if you like, Mm. as well. There's a phrase that we both put at the bottom of most emails, which is, no worries if not. Is this okay? No worries if not. Don't you think that's such a girl thing? It's such, it's like saying just. It's such a girl thing. No worries if not. We want it on a (laughs) T-shirt. I feel like I should get you a mug made. No worries if not. What's your hit rate? How often do people say... I don't know. Yes. I put a lot of work into most of the letters. I never do generics. Probably 50%, not more than that, you know. Because the most valuable thing that you can give to a, a charity like Comic Relief is something you don't want to do. You know, asking mm. people something they do want to do is not necessarily valuable. You know, asking someone for a signed copy of their book is easy and yeah. everybody would say yes to that. But I can't turn that into tens of thousands of pounds. They're not money can't buy, are they? No. Signed copies of books. So, like, we did a thing the other day where I had, where we offered breakfast with seven Doctor Whos, and people Brilliant. paid £10 pounds to enter, and one person won. Do you know what people would pay for? A trip to Sephora with Marion. <gasps> trip to Sephora with Marion Keys! That's genius. Hang on, Just, need to write yeah, that one down. Write it down. That's great. That didn't come out of the blue. We were just talking about Marion having been to Sephora. Yeah, she loves Sephora. Uh, one of my favourite ones we did was we did um, afternoon tea with the whole of the royal family from the, the crown. Yeah. And it was great. So how much does something like that typically raise? Come on, what that one raised? The Doctor Who one raised £750,000. That's amazing, isn't it? And Breakfast with Sherlock raised 800000 Even Even afternoon having a picnic in Notting Hill with Hugh Grant raised half a million. Even? You said that even like it was well, it's like... you. Who it. wants to have tea with you? <laughs> well, not me, to be honest, but, but lots of people do. Lots of people's mums do. Well, lots of, yeah, lots of people did. A half a million pounds worth of people did, no. They're incredible new ways to raise money, but they're, they're agony to, to try and get. So last year you raised, what, 65 million? million? quid, yeah. God, and is the pressure on you every year to push it up? Yeah, or at least to raise something. We have a grants team who um, are in permanent contact with 1,200 different projects all over the world. And every time they go to a project, which is, you know, every day, and check up on how it's going and see the need, or they put out a call for projects in, let's say, we did one last month for domestic violence, just saying we have a vat of money for domestic violence. You know, what what is the biggest need out there? And we get five times as many requests for a for funds as we as we can give and so the pressure really is from them you know it isn't it isn't an ego pressure or a kind of totalizer pressure it's a pressure knowing that the work that we're doing is so important and right and good and fantastic that it needs to be brilliantly funded I'm not surprised you mentioned domestic violence that's a subject really close to my heart is it yeah it's I mean I'm 
work with refuge quite a bit. And they're just so under the cosh. Every time there's a government cut... It's first thing to go. It's the first thing to go. It's just like it doesn't matter. But then you can come in it from such interesting angles. Like we've got a project we're funding at the moment, which is where we, we pay for training for plumbers to be trained in how to spot the early signs of domestic abuse in the houses in which they go and do their plumbing and having spotted it we then train them on where to go confidentially and discreetly to be able to tell the right people that that particular house they think is worth keeping an eye on that's incredible it's such a good project why did i not know about that project i don't know but you do now how did you feel last year about that comic relief backlash Oh, I should have known you'd ask me that, Sam. I forget Sorry. you're such a joke. <laughs> it was the worst thing that's happened in the 30 years that I've been mm. at Comic Relief. It was heartbreaking. We come from a good place, obviously. You know, we've spent £1.4 billion pounds on people living in extreme poverty, either here or internationally, since the Comic Relief started. We, we, we got a lot wrong in many ways and we were told about it very, very publicly. And we learned a lot from it and we listened and we changed a lot. We, uh, we cut some films, we edited other films, we changed our attitudes, we tried to address the things that people felt we'd done wrong. We did a lot of talking, we did a lot of listening and I think a year later we are better than we were then in terms of the way we represent the people in the projects that we support. I think our grants team are astonishing. I think we, we're, we're good at raising money, but I think our grants team are the best thing about Comic Relief. The way we spend the money is just exemplary, I think. It's really well researched. It's really well thought through. It's from people, the grants are given out by people who know the areas they're working in, whether it is extreme poverty, whether it is slum dwelling, whether it is you know, violence against children, whether it's refugees, whether it's domestic violence, whether it's the elderly, whether it's Alzheimer's, you know, whatever the, the areas that we work in, they really know what makes a real difference in those areas and we address it very well. But the way that we portray that work needs to be entirely, um, you know, inclusive and... Uh, non-patronising but I do I, I never have any doubt that the work that we're doing isn't good um, what I do need to permanently address is the way that we're doing it because if you're alienating you know some people not all people but if you're alienating some people with the way that you're portraying the work then that doesn't work you spend well more than half your time a year on comic relief yeah I guess and Most of it, really. The rest of your time, your other job, executive producing, script editing, being the other half of Richard Curtis's brain, or he's the other half of yours. How would you put it exactly? Um, I don't know. We're just sort of partners in all of it, really. And so he's never written a line for anything that that we've made together which hasn't gone via me as many times as it's gone via him really so I read everything of everything and script edit everything that he does and we discuss everything so that's just a sort of team thing really it's not very good with words but I suppose it is script editor but then I've co-produced as well the last couple of films that we've done and that works it works really well for us but mostly when I'm not comic reliefing or Richarding I'm a mum too many children four 
At least. At least. <laughs> Where are the others tucked away? <laughs> All over the shop. So four kids, four kittens, two big cats, Badger being a very big cat. Yeah, a dog. One dog? Yeah, a tortoise. One tortoise. Two columns. They take up quite a lot of work. But you know what I did with the column? So I'd love, you know, I began as a writer and I love, yeah. right, and it's, it feels like a guilty pleasure. It feels like I shouldn't be doing this if I'm not doing comic relief or working on our latest film project or looking after my kids, then I really should be, uh, you know, doing the washing up. But I want, I, I hold on to these two columns that I do because they give me utter joy. Especially the BBC Good Food one. Especially the BBC Good Food one. So I spent the last two years... Any time you decide to dump that... No, not doing it. No, you can't have it. You can fuck off, Sam. (laughs) It's such a joy. So once a month, a chef comes here and I cook them their food. And it means that I have to get good at that food to do it. So it's like a little cooking course that I've done ongoing for two years now. And it's the best thing it's just my I want to give the feedback because it's such a joy for me and I love cooking anyway and I'm all right at it and so that's just my heaven and then the other column I've got which is in the times and then I do it for an American magazine as well online one is called natural highs and it's ways to get high without drugs or drink what's the best high you've found natural high I think being whipped with birch sticks was quite good in a in a Russian sauna. That was quite interesting. That genuinely made me made me um, buzzy for the entire day. I did cryotherapy. Oh, interesting. Yeah, that was rubbish. I mean, <laughs> it was quite clever because you do get you get zingy at the end of it. But the one I went to was in the middle of Harvey Nichols, and I basically came oh. out and bought the first thing that I saw, which I've never worn since. Because you said, oh, look, floral skirt. I'll buy that. Oh, okay. I'll become that person now. So the woman who dresses in black. Always, toe, exactly. Always. <laughs> Took the floral skirt That's back for a refund. That's not the environment for it, though, is it? Holly? I know, it was weird. Loads of people say that, um, you know, that really cold, cold water immersion or, you know, ice water is really a big high as well. Have you done that? Uh, well, the, I did that as part of the Russian spa, actually. You have in to go hot, into a cold. tub, yeah, into a tub of iced water. It's, a, I think, finding highs in other ways. You know, you either become an old addict or you start looking for your buzz mm. legally and naturally. That's one of the things that's been really interesting about this for this podcast, the different stages people are at. Some people have just been coming into menopause and other people have been going out the other side. But the different ways people have found through coping with it. You're, what, well, you're just 58? Yeah. Looking 38. Yeah. Oh, don't say say that. No, looking amazing. I think I'm finally looking like a grown-up. I was really pleased. (laughs) You do look like a grown-up, but a hot grown-up. Oh, (laughs) Tar. Annoyingly. (laughs) Now, when I got here, Emma opened the door with fabulous smooth hair. (laughs) And I've just walked from the tube, and my hair is a big frizzy mess. And I've got grey at the front that I don't know what to do with. And Emma is immaculately dark from head to toe yes i dye my hair how long have you been dyeing it since i was 24 i think that's the thing isn't it if you've been doing it a really really long time it's not a decision is it you just keep doing it well it would be a big decision not to i've done it i mean not because i was covering anything up but just because and this is my hair color but just to make it kind of more more so you know to sort of like very dark brown rather than boring dark brown um 
But, I, and I haven't got a lot of grey. My mum's not grey yet, and she's 92. But I have got a little bit of grey. And I was thinking about that, because I'm, I'm very anti-work. But I, I dye my hair, so I don't know what sort of double standard that is. And the more grey I get, the more I'll dye. I don't want to embrace my inner grey. No, um, so I don't quite know how I allow myself to go. I think it's weird when people have surgery on their faces and pretend that they're younger than they are when I dye my hair and therefore pretend I'm less grey than I am. But each to their own. I mean, I I go through phases with my hair where, remember I went to, I mean, I'm late, I go to hair just like once every six months, tops. And I went to the guy who's always done my hair and said, oh, Adam, I think it's time. I think I've got to dye it. And he it literally, it took him hours to pick himself up off the floor <laughs> laughing. He was like, you can't sit in this chair for more than an hour once every six months. How the hell are you going to do that? Dye it, Ginger. It's a and commitment. And do the every three week maintenance. It's like, it's and it really is every three week. And it's really dull. But I just take my computer into the hairdresser now and sit there and write. Just do it. It's just part of it. Yeah. And actually, I quite like it. And quite often when they finish, I say, can I stay? Because I'm really settled. I've got a coffee and I'm in the middle of an article. (laughs) You mentioned your mum then. Has she been uh, an influence on you as you've kind of uh, grown up, shall we say? Aged is a horrible word, isn't it? No, I'm good with aged. I'm good with old, I'm good with geriatric, I'm good with OAP, I'm good with all of these words. You reclaim all those things. I really, I I feel really strongly about it. I don't understand how we can have created this system where it's apparently not okay to be older when it's the only thing that any of us are ever going to be, you know, if we're lucky. And the is so much worse. What, dying? Yeah. Yeah, quite. So it's just bananas and I'm just not, so I... I give out my age more often than I possibly... I mean, I will say I'm 58 as loudly and as often as I can. When I saw you last autumn, you said nearly 60. Yes, I've got a little thing around my neck, a little necklace that says almost 60. And I felt <laughs> well, my... just embracing it earlier. Just I think getting so. Getting used to the Abs- idea. Well, no, it's not getting used to it. It's genuinely embracing it, because what's the fucking point otherwise? My mum's 92 and she won't, she's weird about So She keeps saying, stop telling people I'm 92. It's like, mum, it's just fantastic. You're 92, you're in good health. You've got your marbles. You go swimming every single morning. You're, I'd rather hang out with you than most people I know. What's not to embrace about that, you know? I mean, I feel, ve- I feel very strongly about it and I'm absolutely aware that I am solvent and healthy. Mm. And if I wasn't solvent or healthy, then this conversation would make me want to vomit. But given the fact that I'm really appreciative and aware of how lucky I am to be solvent and healthy, I am diving into my old age. I mean, economic power, everything comes back to it, doesn't it? And so really, even now, so few women have it. Financial independence. Yeah. yeah. No, it's huge. It's, it's huge. And, you know, my mum didn't have it as a kid. And I mean, as, as a young woman at all. You know, she was a young woman in the 40s. So obviously, you know, no. that doesn't happen at all. But she's incredible, mum. She's an absolute role model for me. Body image is one of the things that I think is a real, for me, it feels like one of those real 
generational divide yes. things. Yes. You know, I grew up in a kind of a ordinary 70s household, the F Plan diet, the, you know, the green goddess, you know, all of that stuff, all of those workouts. I could tell you, the, I mean, literally, you could give me a test now, I can tell you the calories in anything. With the calorie book in the junk drawer in the kitchen, I revised that more than any exam ever. And much as I know I'm here, I'm healthy, I'm great, I'm not as thin as I used to be, you know, I'm fine, it all works. I still want to lose seven pounds and I hate myself for it. Has Scarlett had an influence on you in that regard? Or are you, are you still Gen X? Or are you Boomer? Ugh, I know, I'm here with a Boomer. Well, Gen X, Boomer, Cusp, whatever. Or are you, are you starting to be influenced by Scarlett's more progressive attitude to body image and that stuff. Well, it's it's. Um, I think I am influenced by her more progressive attitude, not just to body positivity, but to the world. Mm-hmm. You know, everything that I used to see with my glasses on, I've had to take my glasses off and have a little go at putting her glasses on. From attitudes to to feminism, to sexism, to racism to my friends, to the diversity amongst my friends, to what I eat, what I don't eat, to um, license to be, license not to be, to criticism, to social media, online bullying, to, you know, I never realised that I would learn as much from my kids as it turns out that I am having to. And we clash a lot. And I will say things and she will say to me, Mum, you can't say that again. And unlike my mum, I do not say, well, I just did. I say, oh, Christ, what have I fucking said wrong now? You know, what? No, I don't agree with that. Oh, okay, I see your point. Well, no, but if I... Oh, 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 yeah, okay, you're right. You know, it's that Mm. kind of dialogue that happens a lot. And she's quite extreme and she's quite out there. And my views aren't particularly extreme and not remotely out there but I'm a different adult now in regards to all those subjects to the one that I was 10 years ago and I embrace that yeah it's so interesting it's so interesting and also you know that thing as an older person when you learn something new I remember I learned Spanish once because I was going backpacking as a as a as an older woman um, in uh, Central America. So I learnt Spanish. And just that act of sitting in a class and learning something as an adult was so exciting. It was like opening a door mm. that I'd closed the day I left university. But when you're really learning like a new skill or a new craft or something. And I think the older you get, the more you have to purposefully kick that door open and try to learn new things because it, it's exciting. And if you don't, that's when I think you start becoming, your world becomes smaller. Yeah, you start to, everything you narrow. starts to close in. Yeah. You. you know, I will, I will see an article online or in a magazine about something I don't know anything about. And rather than going, ooh, tell me about this, I'll go, oh, I'm not, I'm not having that as well. Oh, yeah, God, not another thing. Not another thing. And when you find yourself thinking that, which I'm sure everybody does, I certainly do, that's the time you have to go... I've, I've got to. This way. Yeah. It's downhill all the way. Yeah, it is. This, this is where narrowness comes. It was when I had my first... Well, it wouldn't have been my first menopause symptoms, but the kind of going off a... I went off a bit of a cliff when I was 46. So I'd just left Red. Um, six months, left Red. Lauren and I started working on the pool, trying to raise money. Perfect timing to lose your fucking marbles. <laughs> 
And I literally did. I mean, I've had like depression and, and all of that, but this was like nothing I'd ever experienced before. My confidence went through the floor, like chronic anxiety. I literally, I didn't know, I mean, I didn't go as far as thinking I had dementia. Like some people I've spoken to actually went to the doctor and said, I think I've got early onset dementia. I did. Did you? Yep. Really? Yep. And what did they say? Did they say, no, it's... She said, I, it was quite recently, it was only two months ago. Oh, wow. I went in and I said, I think, I think you should test me for Alzheimer's. And she said, are you menopausal and I went yeah and she went well it's that and I went no 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 it can't be that because it's really serious and she said but it is that because that's one of the main symptoms and I said look I'm 58 I'm quite bright I read loads of shit I listen and I who knows about stuff to do Mm. with things like this you can't tell me that this is out, this isn't. This is menopause, and how can I have got to this stage in my life and not known that, not had any idea? Literally, if I had a tenor for everybody who said this, it's like everybody knows about the hot flushes because they're yes, funny. Yes, everybody knows about the middle age spread because it's funny yes. and you can be mocked for it. But nobody tells you that for a period of time that could be a year and could be ten years, you will totally lose yourself. I couldn't remember words. Ah. I, and I began with the scary thing. So I would say things like, can you, can you go up the, um, you know, the, the, the up, down, up, down, those things. The thing that if you want to go to the, the th- r- stairs, can you, stairs. stairs. Oh, my God. Yeah, go up the stairs and get that thing for me. Um, and because it was so humiliating to me, mm. I wasn't being particularly judged by anyone at home more than they normally do when they laugh at me all the time anyway. <laughs> But to myself, it was so humiliating that I found myself not speaking rather than going through this ridiculous charades thing of, um, of trying to communicate what I wanted to communicate. And so I became lesser. I became mm-hmm. smaller and yes. quieter and littler because it was humiliating to myself. I had no idea how to do words out of my own mouth. Yeah. And, and all I've ever done my entire life is done words out of my own mouth. Exactly. It's my job. Yeah. And did your brain, does your brain do that thing where it flat lines? Literally, you'll be yes. started. Oh, yeah. Because I have that on stage. And it's like, and I've got to a point now where I just say, I've forgotten where I was going with that. Sorry. No, it's awful. It's just, you know. But the thing is, it's so much less awful when you know what it is. Mm. It's so much less awful when you're not thinking, I, I'm doing, I'm, go, I'm old people's home for me. I'm yeah. on my way. It's so shocking that you don't know what that is. Because it, it truly isn't something that people talk about. But I can't believe you only just got it. I had that such a long time ago. Well, no, that was, that's the other thing. Because I was through the menopause. You know, my period stopped four years ago. But the brain fog only began about a year ago. Oh, interesting, because yeah. I had the brain fog really early on. No. And I think so. that was another reason. Yeah, but, I mean, I still didn't know brain fog was part of it, but the fact that I, I wasn't, you know, in the middle of my menopause or at the eye of the storm of it was another reason why I thought... I think one of the things that I was thinking when that was happening to me, and now I know it's happened to you as well, and it's happened to every single person I know, is millennials would not put up with this. No. They would not put up with this shit. The fact that this really shitty thing happens to more than half of the population. 
and we don't know about it. No, they will certainly know about it. I mean, in so many ways, they're carving out a better world, aren't they? Scarlett did this big protest about period poverty a couple of yeah. years ago, um, where they were trying, she and a group of, of young activists were trying to get the government to use some of the tampon tax revenue that they had mm. sloshing around. <laughs> sloshing. I love that word. <laughs> when does cash ever slosh around? Yeah, exactly. Never happened. Um, but trying to use some of the tampon tax revenue to um, pay for free sanitary products for girls who um, were uh, on free school meals. So, you know, people who mm. really needed the money would get it in that way. And they did a fantastic campaign, including a march of 2,000 teenage girls on Downing Street with placards and microphones. Um, I remember and it, yeah. it was great. And they set up a little stage on the street, she got all the permissions... And they had about 12 speakers, including three MPs and some like famous comedians and models. And Deborah Francis White turned up and Ashling B. And they all spoke and Daisy Lowe and people. And they all talked about their periods. And, and some of them were on their periods. And they stood up outside Downing Street and said, I'm on my period and I want to talk about periods. And as a, what was I then, 55-year-old woman... 56-year-old woman, I had to have a big talk to myself about it because I sat there, stood there, thinking, you can't say, you can't do, shh, 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 everybody should, okay, we can talk about this without actually saying the P word and (laughs) definitely don't talk about being on your, and it was such, it was, I went into that, that rally with a taboo because Mm. I'm, in my 50s and it was a taboo it's always been a taboo I mean not a massive taboo but definitely not something you you discussed in public pretend it wasn't happening didn't you because all of that you didn't go we all do oh look we're different we're having a period because in the 80s you kind of had to pretend that you were the same there were no differences I'm I deserve it as much as but also you just wouldn't say you wouldn't mention you know a man might say I'm hungover yeah. That's fine, but you wouldn't say I've got my period. Yeah. That's why I'm slightly under par today or something. It's just, you wouldn't do it. Anyway, I went in there with all of that. And two hours later, I came out different because I had listened to 12 different people talking about their periods and women's periods and our country's periods and the government's attitude towards periods and people who stuff socks down their pants because they can't afford tampons and their periods and when you have exposure to that sort of dialogue for that Mm. you know you change and that's what I think this generation doing just by talking about it just by airing it whether or not they're shouting about it but they are changing the conversation and the next (laughs) okay I haven't quite got to this place with the next campaign she did as you can tell from my body language right now because I've just doubled up up. (laughs) but the next little mini campaign they did with their activism group was called Girls Wank 2. <laughs> and I went along to the meeting, the inaugural and I think only meeting of Girls Wank 2, and there were 150 girls in a pop-up shop that they rented for the night talking about the fact that girls wank too and that boys can say, ooh, wanking and girls can't. And 
I went in. I love the way your voice went quiet. I know, and I can't even look you in the eye while I'm having this conversation. But I went in with my head on the floor, and by the time I came out an hour later, I was vaguely upright. I mean, I haven't got to the place where I was embracing it. We did, yeah. We got there again. So I didn't quite get to the stage where I could really go, yes, girls, I did. But I'd certainly move to the fact that I can have this semi-conversation with yeah. you about it. So, you know, that in itself yeah. was progress as well. I, d- I definitely think... They're very cool. They're very cool and they have made a change. And I think that that change... I definitely felt like, OK, everybody's talking about periods now. We know loads about periods. We know loads about pregnancy. You know, menopause is another change in women's lives and nobody talks about it. And we have to start talking about it. Yeah. And that's why I, one of the reasons I wanted to write the book. But also because it was so traumatic for me going into menopause without knowing what the fucking hell was happening to me. But I think we've really seen a change since that, you know, that period campaign that you're talking about, that, you know, people are talking about menopause now. Not, I mean, people are still twitchy. I mean, you still get, you know, sometimes I ask people to do this podcast and they're like, oh, well, I have to say how old I am. Like, well, kind of the point, really. It's about celebrating women north of 40 and talking about our lives and where we're going. And, you know, menopause is a big part of that. And isn't that the point, just to make it something that happens to everybody? I mean, I think when earlier Richard was talking about Davina just talking about her menopause and I think people are doing that now yeah what he was referencing was a a rough cut of a sport relief documentary that we watched last night and in it Davina talks about the sport relief challenge that she did a few years ago where she swam across a lake and cycled 100 miles and walked a thousand miles or something you know legend sort of thing and at one point she said you know the worst thing about doing the um the cycling bit was that she she had her period when she was doing it and she got a blister on her private parts and then the blister oh. popped and she made it very funny but you know that's a BBC One primetime documentary and there's that amazing woman on it and she didn't bat an eyelid in saying I was on my period and I got a blister on my vagina and it was like oh we've come a long way we've really come a long way I think and now we have to get hold of that and keep it going through the rest of yeah. our lives. Yeah. Yeah, we do. But isn't it weird that it's only through the talking about it? And thank God that there is the talking about it, that things will change. I can't believe you have or would tolerate it, but have you had any age shaming? Oh, probably lots, but I don't remember it. Ignore it. Yeah. <laughs> no, it's just brain fog, can't remember. I feel very strongly... And again, I will say it just again, because it's really relevant. I'm solvent and I'm healthy. So these are first world problems in a way. But I do very much not want to be someone who is pretending to be an age other than that, the age that I am. Mm. I don't want to get to 60 and think, oh, no, I'm 60. I want to think, oh, great, what's going to happen mm. now? And I will get to 60 at the same time as my youngest child leaves home. And I'm determined to make that my best decade, apart from my 70s, which will then be my best decade if I'm still alive. But it's so much better way to approach it than, oh, I'm dreading 50 or I'm dreading 60, which is what most people say but and you, what I'm being guilty of. Uh, there's an interesting thing that I was thinking about this morning, though, about the wrinkles and the mm. ageing thing. You know that thing when you stop pretending something isn't happening and you just embrace mm. it and it's all better. 
Mm. And you think it'll be worse and it's not, it's just better. And there's so many areas, like I don't, I don't run very fast. But if I was running against someone else, I would just say to them, I'm not as quick a runner as you are. And I would still enjoy the run and give it a go. But with wrinkles, it's like we put a huge amount of effort into trying to say, I'm not wrinkling. I'm not, mm. I'm not, my face isn't aging. Obviously I'm aging and I can even tell you how old I am and, you know, be okay with that. But on my face, I want my face not to be aging. And it's such a lie that we tell ourselves that there's, it's, it's important that other people can't see in the wrinkles what we're doing. And then I meet someone like Ruthie Rogers, the cook, mm. who is absolutely covered in the most beautiful wrinkles you've ever She's seen. She's got the most amazing face. It's the best she? face. It's a face of cheek and comedy and spirit and twinkle and experience and life. And she's going, I'm, I'm this person. Just I'm like me. I, I'm me. Just like I can say, I don't run very fast. I'd like to say, yeah, these are my wrinkles. I'm okay with that. But we're not okay with it. And everyone puts on a cream hoping it's going to be the cream that, you know, will just smooth them all away and they're not there anymore. And yet if you could look in the mirror and go, if I could look in the mirror and go, these are my wrinkles. Welcome to the bits of my face that are older. I'm aiming towards a stage where I go, yep, I'm not going to look for the creams that will cover this up. I'm not interested in the cover-up sticks. I just, I'm okay. In fact, I'm happy with the fact that this is what my face looks like now. How close are you to that? I don't know. Some days I'm really close to it and other days when I feel less confident, I'm miles away from it. But... I think the more I sort of say it to myself out loud in a way, the more I kind of address it, the more we have these conversations, the more I meet people like Ruthie Rogers and admire them rather than, you know, surrounding myself with, you know, I won't have a beauty magazine in the house. They make you feel ugly. What's the point of that? And um, so, I'm, you know, I'm, I, it's a work in progress. I don't know. I'm trying. Do you feel like, like you mentioned magazines then, do you feel like the representation of older women is getting any better yeah yeah I do I do you see more older models like you see more diverse models I mean I think all that side of things is changing and that's the younger generation shouting about it and it's Mm. coming up everywhere um and I love that um I love I love watching my mum and seeing the sort of seeing how how People enjoy her company. My friends enjoy her company. Whereas I think 20 years ago, it would have been weird having a 90-year-old at dinner. And now, it, yeah. you know, I don't know. She's just an interesting... She's just the, the most interesting. She's the most interesting dinner guest you could have. You know, she's got more stories. She's got more funny attitudes. She comes out with more brilliant things than anyone I know. Do you remember her going through her menopause? I remember her telling me that she... It was a stage in her life, I think in her 50s, where she looked in the mirror and she made an active decision to put on weight. She's always been very slender. And she said she suddenly looked scrawny. And so she made an active decision to eat up a bit and sort of put on half stone or a stone or something so that she looked more settled in her skin. The kind of bum face thing. Yeah, exactly. And I would imagine that was her menopause. I don't know, actually. No, I mean, how weird is this? I've never had a conversation with her about her menopause. No, it's not weird at all. It's what most people say. And most people don't have a conversation. 
who I've spoken to, don't have a conversation with their mum about menopause until they start having their own. And then the conversation usually goes something like, well, how old were you when you had menopause? Because, of course, you're told that you won't have your menopause until your mum had hers, which for me was like a 10-year difference. Was it? Yeah, no, no similarity at all. And then the conversation goes, well, we just put up with it. So my mum didn't put up with it. I do know that. I don't know what the menopause were like, but I know she took HRT from the age of 48 and then uh, only came off it a couple of years ago. Really? Yeah. Wow, so like 40, 40 years. years. 40 years of HRT. Amazing. And she swore by it. I mean, she began her own theatre company at the age of 60 and was producing 25 shows a year and acting in two of them and cleaning the toilets. She's a rock star. Yeah, she's great. She's a legend. She is. She was an evacuee in the war. Yeah. And she got evacuated to Oxford. And the person who, who she got evacuated to was C.S. Lewis. Oh, my God, really? So she was Lucy. In Lion, the Witch, the wardrobe. the wardrobe. Yeah, that's my mummy. Oh, my God. She lived with him for five years. Isn't that weird? You've got all the family stories. It's a quite a big one, that, isn't that's it? That's amazing. Yeah. And was there a wardrobe? I mean, obviously not with Narnia out the other side, but... I don't know. How, you don't know? Well, there probably was. I think there were lots of them, actually. Yeah. <laughs> Ask her for me. I will. back. <laughs> wow. God, yeah. I can't even begin to beat that. This is kind of a, it feels a bit ironic in the context of some of the things we've been saying about how empowering and inspiring younger women are. But what one thing would you tell younger women? It's just there's a thing about when you get older that you really, really want to pass on everything and don't let other people make the mistakes that you made. I've got an awful lot to say about being a mum, having done it for 24 years, you know, the amount of self blame and lack of confidence and shame that we put ourselves through as women in parenting because the jeopardy is so big and the stakes are so high and it's so complicated and I just want to do anything to make women less hard on themselves than I was when I was going through the early years of having small children I, I sort of look back and just am appalled that I I was so unkind to myself you know, and I think it's what we do and it's, it's rubbish. I would want to say to young people that it gets more and more fun because in my life it has done. Yeah, that's really true. I was, you know, I was okay as a teenager. I was a bit of a model, but I wasn't too bad. And then in my 20s, I was a bit cocky and running around and trying to create a career. And in my 30s, I was having kids and racked with insecurities about that but and then in my 40s it began to get a bit better and my 50s have been great yeah I feel exactly I feel I'm growing into my skin and growing into my mind and I look back on the you know the odd photo of me when I was younger and I think oh god I knew nothing and I had no idea how to handle myself or the world or my life or the people around me and I'm genuinely better at that now I'm genuinely clearer on what matters and I couldn't have been then you you can't jump it you have to sort of live it but once you get to the place where you know what matters to you and you know how to um, balance sort of duty and responsibility and and fun it's just better I mean my life is is more 
joyful now than it was mm. when I was younger, even though my face is more wrinkled and my hair is more grey. I'm, I'm having a better time now and I'm determined and I'm sure that, that my 60s are going to be one up from this because how can it not go on getting better as long as I can stay healthy? I could what would your superpower be? I'd really love time travel. I'd really love to go back and just calm myself down a little bit. I'd really like to go back to me as a teenager and tell her that I was never going to lose that extra half stone, so stop yes, worrying about stop it. Stop beating yourself up about it. I'd really like to go back to the first time I snogged Richard and do it again. Oh, that's lovely. Well, that's been, that's been my joy. 30 years. 30 years. It's amazing, isn't it? Mm. and in each other's pockets as well yeah but I think that's probably why it's been so good actually I think we work very well in each other's pockets you know I think I think it connects us on every level it means that there's always stuff to talk about and always stuff to do and I really admire what he does and really like who he is and so it's not it's no hardship partnering him on every level any temptation to get married no no I did propose to him once 29 years ago and he said no. Oh, how did that go down? Well, it was a bit of a surprise. <laughs> <laughs> oh, all right then. <laughs> a cuppa. He said, he said, I don't want to marry you, but can we be not married for the rest of our lives? I went, all right then. Oh, what was that? That's a really nice no. Yeah, that was a good no. Yeah. <laughs> I think I might have heard someone else say that. Mistake on screen. Yeah, <laughs> we, 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 you know, you've got to use what you got. Yeah. <laughs> Who are your old bird role models? Ruthie Rogers, who I love, who runs the River Cafe and is as feisty and funny and fuck it in her 70s or 60s or whatever she is, as I dream of being. My mum, age 92, I once said to her, what's the secret? Because she's really remarkable. And she said, she said, I have the same lunch every day and I think that's got a lot to do with it. And I said, what is it? And she went, glass of red wine and a packet of crisps. <laughs> Every day. Oh, my God. I love your mum. Every day. Glass of red wine and a packet of yeah. crisps. What flavour? Well, that's an interesting subject. Cheesy Watsits, weirdly, she's quite fond of. Cheesy Watsits? Yeah, she likes quite extreme flavours. Um, she likes a prawn cocktail skip. I love a prawn cocktail yeah. skip. Clearly, she, I'm going to be a hot She nice likes all the really sort of gross ones. Oh, she also likes anything that's on a discount at Tesco's. <laughs> the cheaper, the better. And also, she only likes cheap red wine. I am your mum. <laughs> And lastly, how many fucks do you give? All of them and none of them. I still mind about lots of things and then still couldn't give a fucking fuck about lots of things. But I think if you end up in one camp or the other, you're in trouble. I think you have to go on massively caring and massively not giving a shit concurrently forever. That's what I'd like to be. If you, if you really, really didn't give a fuck, you'd be such an arsehole to be with. And you'd be an arsehole in the world. But I've stopped giving fucks about lots of things that I used to give a fuck about. Like my wrinkles. <laughs> Emma Freud, you are, like, totally brilliant. You are my old bird role model. Am I? You are. Oh, that's fantastic. Thank you so much. What a joy. What a great way to spend the morning. Thank you for listening. I'd love to hear your feedback. You can reach me on Twitter at Sam Baker and Instagram at the other Sam Baker. 
using the hashtag The Shift. You can hear a new episode of The Shift each week on Acast, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. If you like what you hear, please do rate and subscribe because it really does help other people find us. Spring? Is that you? Warmer temps mean new Allbird styles. Meet the Super Light Collection, the lightest ever shoes from Allbirds, now in fresh colors. These must-have travel shoes have a lighter-than-air feel and barely-there fit that made them the most packable shoes ever. That means more comfort and less baggage. Try the Super Light Tree Runner with a cushy foam midsole and breathable eucalyptus fiber upper. Plus, they're comfy right out of the box. So what can you do in a Super Light shoe? What can't you do is the better question. And because they're super packable, the real question is, where are you taking them? Experience how Allbirds redefines comfort. Visit Allbirds.com and use code SUPER24 for a free pair of socks with a purchase of $48 or more. That's A-L-L-B-I-R-D-S dot com. Code SUPER24.